The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. My guest on today's show is Bob Osmond, the founder and CXO of Innovative CX Solutions. Bob is also an adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota and Rutgers University. He was the board chair of the CXPA, Customer Experience Professional Association. And on today's episode, there's some really neat gems that you can pull out of here. He talks specifically about what he calls his soapbox, um, and that is how companies need to get back to the basics when it comes to uh, CX and not rely so heavily on technology to get their job done. He also talks about the role of corporate social responsibility in CX strategy. And then we talk about the strategic envelope around technology that companies need to use in order to be effective. Let's dive right in. Well, I am so excited to welcome my guest today, Bob Osman, who is the Chief Customer Service Officer and Consultant for Innovative CX Solutions. And Bob has a wealth of experience, both uh, inside really great brands and also as a consultant. He was the Vice President of Traveler Experience, America's Global, responsible for all operations, Canada, the United States, Latin America, really all over the world. Um, he was, and he was working for Carlson Wagon Lee, um, which was a travel agency that I used probably 40 years, uh, too many years ago to remember. Um, and then he worked at great brands as an executive at Thomson Reuters, Ceridian, even Deluxe. Um, and he also is an adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota and Rutgers, all these incredible accomplishments and uh, and a great friend and someone who I am so excited to to have join us on the show. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Mark. Hey, it's great to be here. You're flipping the tables on me. I get to be a guest. This is a rare occasion for me, so I'm I'm excited to sit back and be the person answering rather than asking today. Yeah, Bob was kind enough to have me on his podcast not too long ago. And he has, a, he has a, a podcast, All Things Considered CX, and he is awesome at it. But it is different when you're the one hosting, right? You'll be really asking most of the questions. And today I'll be the one asking you the questions. <laughs> you get to say the things you want to say. Um, and we're excited that there'll be some gems here for sure for our audience because of all your wealth of experience. 
Um, I also wanted to mention that you're, and I, I skipped this, so I'm sorry that you were uh, emeritus board member for CXPA, uh, which I, you know, I'm currently serving on the board. But you were one of the trailblazers early on when CXPA first came about, and and uh, helped carve the path for the rest of us. And so, thank you so much for that. You bet. But but Bob, with with that experience uh, that I shared just shared a minute ago. Um, what drew you into the CX profession? <laughs> you know, it was by accident, Mark. I, I didn't, I mean, I'm an elementary education major. Uh, my undergraduate degree uh, as a BA in elementary education. My graduate degree is an MBA, but I came out of school with that elementary education and I never really taught. I've been working for a local retailer part-time through college and when I decided to go into business instead of education, that company um, here in Minneapolis said, um, you know, why don't you come to work for us? And you've, you know, you've been with us for three or four years part-time, you know, the system, you know, the, um, how we do things here. And so I said, sure. Well, what are you, what are you thinking about? And it was really interesting. They, they had a um, high traffic retail location. This was in the floral and gift industry. If anybody is in, uh, familiar with Minnesota and Minneapolis, it was the Bachman's floral chain. And they had this really high traffic store that was doing real poorly. And they said, you know, we want you to run it. Now, think about this for a minute, Mark, they, a 20, whatever I was, 22 year old kid out of school with an education background. And they gave me this store. And uh, I walked in the first day and the staff looked at me like, who is this punk that's going to run this store? And right. we, we just took advantage. I, I mean, I ran by the seat of my pants. We just took advantage of the traffic and we, that store just, we just turned that store around the volume increase the the fam, Bachman family couldn't be happier. And so that's when I say I kind of stumbled into it. And that was my first exposure to customer facing roles. And just over time, that's kind of what happened is I just started, I went into marketing and sales and product management and advertising. I kind of did all the different functions throughout other companies, but I always kind of came back to a comfort zone around customer experience and customer, well, before, you know, before we call it customer experience, kind of customer facing operations. Yeah. Well, interesting. I, I think, you know, you're in good company because nobody really took the same path. Um, Get, getting to CX, we all came from different different journeys to get here. Yeah. So, um, so you were inside of of brands doing doing the role uh, for for a bit of time, and um, I want to tap into that experience. And later, we're going to talk more broadly about your experience um, in in dealing with di- multiple organizations and and what your take is on today's environment. Maybe get into some things that are I don't know a bit controversial or thought provoking. But for right now, as you think about your own career, what were some of the mountaintops? What were some of the things you'll be able to look back and say, I am really proud of that accomplishment. You know, we really hit it then. What, what are some things that come to mind? You know, it's interesting. One of the things you mentioned was my involvement with CXPA. And I have to say that, that as I look back at my CX career and the ability to influence uh, the profession, my, my membership on the board um, and then eventually my um, 
becoming chairperson of the board and then emeritus chair is, is really, I look back at that and I think, wow, we did a lot there. It was a time of significant change and growth. Um, my partner in crime, Diane Majors, was a part-time CEO at the time, and I was a chair, and we had a great board that we were working with. I'm sure the board you're working with today is just as great, but we were in a time of tremendous transformation, and it's interesting. That's been my my background when I've worked at brands has been typically I'm, I'm asked to transform an organization. So I, I'm a firm believer that the right leader show up at the right time, and, and I'm not being egotistical here, but I think we had the right leadership at CXPA during a time of tremendous transformation. And we did some really cool things. We, um, you know, began the process of expanding globally, not nearly what the, what you all are able to do now, but I, I kind of say we took credit for at least laying the foundation to go global. We hired a full-time CEO. We um, completely revamped the way we did business from a standpoint of management and association uh, policies. Um, we established the Emerging Leaders Award. We um, expanded our, our, you know, we had a high demand for content. So we expanded content and we led an effort around job descriptions. So there was just so much there that, that I couldn't do if I was in a brand. I could certainly influence the brand, but being able to have the opportunity to serve the, the profession really for me was a mountaintop uh, in my career. Love it. Yeah, I love it. And, and just a reminder to people, if you're listening and you're not currently a member of CXPA, you, you might want to probe around and think about it because it's a great resource for you, both in terms of knowledge, information, best practices and all that, but also meeting people and networking um, and uh, building your own career. Uh, great resource, cxpa.org. Um, and Bob was someone who, um, you know, we... <laughs> We don't get paid a whole lot of money to serve on this board. <laughs> you can't retire <laughs> based on that. Um, it's it's all it's all from the heart, really. It is someone who you just have to care uh, about about the profession, and I know you do. And you've been one of the people who has done heavy lifting. Um, so speak. So let, let's let's now shift gears and go to potholes. I like to ask this question about. Uh, what is something, an obstacle you struggled with or a toddle you stepped into that maybe you can save some of our listeners if they haven't already stepped <laughs> into that same pothole, um, the, the trouble? What, what, what's something that comes to mind? So what it comes immediately to mind is technology is not the solution to your problems. Um, mm. so, I mean, I stepped into it very early on in my customer experience career and thought, if only we install this technology, it'll solve our customer experience problems and it made them worse. And I'm, I don't mean to offend our wonderful technology partners in the CX space, but it was really a sense of that. And, and even later in my career, when I was in consulting with a technology company, I, I still heard companies saying, I bought this technology and it's not doing what it said it was going to do, or or I need to improve my customer experience, so I'm going to buy this technology or telephony system or whatever it is, CRM, without that strategic envelope wrapping around it to say, why am I doing this? And so th that for me was a pothole that, that I didn't look at the people process and tools uh, dependency on one another, but ran after technology and said, 
the reason our customer experience isn't very good is because we don't have the right technology. Well, that could be true, but, but maybe we also don't have the right processes and the right people. And the, and the, and the closely associated with that is that a lot of times we put in technology but, and we train on skills, but we don't train behavior. So we give our, our salespeople, our uh, success professionals, our customer service agents, whoever it is in the organization, we give them this new, this new technology and we train them how to, how to operate the technology. But we don't say, okay, and this is going to change your behavior. You're going to do something different with this. You're going to recognize customer value. You're going to uh, input data differently. You're going to analyze a customer's profile before you speak to them. Whatever it is, the behavioral change versus the skill change is really one of the other potholes closely associated with that is, man, we did a great job training skills, but nothing changed. Why didn't it change? Well, the behavior was all the same. Yeah, I, I often love the quote, it's technology in search of a strategy. Absolutely. You know, and I'm kind of amazed. Um, it's don't have a clearly defined strategy, but yet they're spending millions of dollars on technology. Yeah. So the strategy has to come first, right? I think you and I have talked about, I call it a CX mission and, and principles, mm -hmm. but you also um, say it's really important. Like you, you will ask customers or clients or prospective clients, what is your CX mission or strategy, right? right? Or state statement. Exactly. And, then, right. and, and, and just show it to me or tell it to me. And a lot of times you'll get the business vision, mission and values, which is totally fine, but mm -hmm. that's not your CX strategy. Now it doesn't, the CX strategy has to align to the vision, mission and values of your organization. Right but you have right. to be specific and, and, and it can't be, you know, Mark, the, the mom and apple pie kind of stuff. It's gotta be, what is your CX strategy that you're trying to employ to, to be more successful? So to, to double click on that a little for people listening, and I 100% agree with you, like, I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like off the top of your head, what would be a good, what would be a reasonable one uh, for just to give an illustration, everyone's got to come up with the one that works for the, them and their organization and what they're trying to accomplish. But what would be just an illustration of one? So can I give you two ones not to do and then one to do? Can I tell you? Yeah. Let, yeah. What is it like two truths right. and a liar? I forget. <laughs> I forget how that so game works. One of yeah. them is not put our customers first. That is not a strategy. That might be a vision. It might be a mission but it's not a strategy um, or customers are job one or all those kind of fluffy kind of the, the, those aren't strategies. Um, another yeah. one is, and, and this is people are going to either like me or hate me, but improve the NPS score by three points. Mm. No, that's not a strategy either. Now, a lot of companies have that strategy and I'm not criticizing the strategy but what is NPS intended? NPS is a score on your performance. And what is the ultimate strategy you're trying to achieve? You're trying to retain customers. So rather than having a strategy that says, I'm going to increase NPS by 2, 10, 20, whatever it is, why not have a strategy that says, I'm going to improve my customer retention by 10%? 
because NPS is a subset of that strategy. So I'm very much, I'd be very specific with the strategy, like I'm going to improve customer retention by 10%, be able to measure it, and then align everything you're doing against that strategy. That's specific, it's measurable, it's actionable, it's, it's broad because everybody can be a part of it. Everybody that's in the organization is focused on customer retention. A, a quick example there, a number of years ago, um, Continental Airlines was having trouble getting jets off the gate. And so they had, everybody was tied to the same thing, improve on-time performance. And, and they did it. And people criticize them and say, well, yeah, but they, they lost bags in the meantime. Well, whatever. But the strategy was clear and concise and everybody in the organization knew it. You could, off, you could go up to any person that worked at Continental Airlines at the time and say, what's our CX strategy? And they'd say, improve our on-time performance. That's a, that's a good strategy. So what, what I'm hearing, Bob, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, a CX strategy should not be um, a, ta- a marketing tagline like um, customers first. And, it, and, and that's kind of lofty and it's, it sounds good and, and all that, but then also not, not really a tactic. I mean, let's not confuse strategies with tactics. Tactics are, are, are action steps or ways that we achieve a strategy, right? Right. So the strategy. Yeah. And you yeah. can have that. So there's nothing wrong with customers first there, that you can absolutely yeah. have that. The question then becomes, yeah. I, I don't really ascribe to the fact that that's a strategy. I like your description of it as a more of a marketing tagline, but then what are the key strategies you have to achieve customer first? And then to your point beneath those strategies, what are the tactics that you're going to do that? And so Yes. That may, then now you're starting to put together a CX um, strategy that starts looking more like you're going to make changes in the organization. And my, my contention here is, is that a number of years ago, I told this story before, a CEO said to us, effective tomorrow, we're going to be customer first or customer focused. Okay, well, what does that mean? To, to, a, to an agent on the phone, what exactly does that mean? If we don't give yeah. them, this is what it looks like, and this is how you're changing, um, then we're not going to get anywhere. It looks pr- it looks great on a poster or in a video. Exactly, exactly. Well, that was that was really helpful, and I, I hope that um, our listeners felt like there was some use in that. And even if you've got something in place, maybe it's time to sharpen that up a little bit and. And really make sure you're clear so people understand and that as Bob alluded to both in this section and the section before that we, we were talking about is um, make sure that you're thinking about behaviors that change, right? You want behavioral change, whether it's the tool or whether it's a strategy, the goal is really to get something to change so you can achieve that and you need to be clear, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting about that, too, that the um, when I went to work for Carlson Bagley Travel, the, this uh, new CEO came in and he was associated with Continental. And he, and he said to me, you know, Bob, we ought to try this idea I had at Continental about the on-time performance and see if we can make it work. And I was a skeptic uh, at the time. And in the end, a year or two afterwards, he laughed at that with me about being a skeptic. But I saw it work. I saw it work across 10,000 employees. It was pretty cool. Mm. Great. 
we, so I'm going to cut in the commercial right here <laughs> and we'll come out. I think, I think it's a great conversation. There's already a, a lot of gems for people. Good. What do you, how do you feel? It's enjoyable. Good, good, good. Okay. All right. So now we're going to switch over um, to, uh, I guess I'll kind of call it the learning something new, new section. And, uh, and we're going to talk about your latest soapbox. And if we have time, I think we'll have time to talk about this corporate blend, blending in corporate social responsibility into CX. So, okay, Bob, uh, so far this has been intriguing. Uh, now we're going to press you a little bit more into an area that um, hopefully will, will really be some learning opportunities for people listening. And I know I'm, gonna, I'm excited to learn from you about the things that you've been thinking about late, lately. Um, and, uh, and what your, I think you and I were talking before you called it your latest soapbox. So tell, tell our listeners about what you're on the soapbox for now. Yeah, I get these soapboxes, uh, on a rotating basis, but, uh, my latest soapbox is, um, we need to get back to basics and customer experience. And what I mean by that is, and if anybody is, followed anything I'm writing on LinkedIn or in my blogs and so forth that my, that, that soapbox is really bad customer experiences from some of the top brands in the, in the world that I've encountered and that I imagine your listeners encounter as well. And, and yes, we've had a pandemic. Yes, we have supply chain issues, but for major brands in the world, still using the excuse on their, uh, uh, IVR systems that says due to the pandemic, we can't answer your call. It's that's atrocious to me. And so mm -hmm. um, what I mean by back to basics is, you know, we, we have to get back to designing it right, pricing it right, delivering it right. All those rights, doing it right the first time so that we don't have to put customers through these horrendous experiences that they're having with agents who may not be properly trained or don't have the authority or the policies available to them to be successful. So one of the common things I write about that gets me in trouble with fellow consultants is, you know, forget the journey mapping, forget the expensive market research surveys, forget the voice of the customer, forget all that stuff that draws resources into a conference room or into a Zoom room and focus on what are you putting your customers through? You know, go, go listen with an agent, go understand what the process is that you're putting your, um, you know, if you're doing surveys, are you responding to uh, complaints that you're getting? We just have to get right back to saying how, you know, if we're not gonna deliver this on time, what are we doing about it? And then if there is a problem, do our agents, do our salespeople, do our account managers have what they need in terms of authority, responsibility, tools to solve it instantaneously? And it is amazing to me, Mark, that uh, I didn't name these brands, but in, the, in one of my latest articles, but it's amazing to me that the brands with this kind of power and resources are still delivering such terrible experiences to their customers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think sometimes um, we can get caught up in the processes um, 
and use use the example of journey mapping, we can get caught up in in a whole bunch of meetings and don't take action. You know, don't take action. And really, you know, there's some just some common sense things that um, the frontline staff and even even people who support the frontline staff know that need to be fixed. And what you know, we don't need we don't need necessarily to do bring in. 20 people to a cross-functional journey mapping session in order to fix those things. Exactly. And that, that's a really good distinguishing point there, Mark, is, you know, if uh, the first place I go to when, I, when I'm engaged with a new client is I talk to frontline. I talk to salespeople. I talk to agents. I talk to anybody that's interfacing with the customer directly across any functional area in an organization because they know where the blemishes are in the organization. They can tell you off the top of their head, the top five things that are causing frustrations for customers. You don't need a journey map to do that. You don't need a voice to customer. Those are employees that are dealing with customers every day and they can tell you, here are the five things. Now you might get a list of 25 things, but my contention is you'll get five themes and those five themes will be probably 90% of what you can do to fix the problems. Now, can you use journey mapping then to start fixing those problems? Absolutely. You know, can, should you validate with voice of customer? Absolutely. You should do all of that. But if, you're, if, if you know you're on a burning platform and you've got to solve your customer experience problems, I'll, I'm telling you, that's the fastest and, and easiest way to learn what's happening with what your customers are going through to, to do business with you. I've been saying it for 20 years. Are we easy to do business with? Ask yourself that question. And that will take you a long way into fixing the processes that you talk about. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. You know, sometimes if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be as a CX practitioner, for example, in a position where stakeholders, business line leaders are coming to you saying, I know there's a problem here. Can you help us out? If you are, if you're number one, you should be asking a whole bunch of questions, but share, share with me what you understand the problem to be. Um, and, and what, how is that manifesting itself? Right. But if you're not, the tendency would be to go just ask customers or take research you've already have about the customers, um, or even look at some external research, which is, those are all good things to, to have at your hand. But if you're not also automatically including the frontline people and people who directly, as you say, touch you know, the customer experience one way or another, then you're missing a huge component of it. Um, so I think, I think that's a really important point for CX leader. Like every single one of those um, challenges that you're trying to address, you should always include the employees, mm-hmm. right? No question about it. And, and oftentimes yeah. the criticism I get is, well, that's qualitative research. Well, yes, it is qualitative research. But again, what I find is most organizations, most leaders in an organization, as well as the front line, know what's wrong. Uh, you know, they, mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of reasons why they haven't fixed it, lack of resources, lack of investment, all that, all that. But what I typically find is people know what's wrong. They just, mm-hmm. need, they just need the, the thumbs up from leadership to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well said. Thanks. Thanks for being bold enough to, uh, to get on your soapbox here on the delighted <laughs> customers podcast. Soapbox now, mm-hmm. That's good news. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, so I know you and I have talked about this issue as well, and, and I'm excited to talk more about this with you and our audience because corporate social responsibility is something that, um, depending on your industry, is, is not only something that is on the, on the perimeter or outskirts, it's right in front and center of decision-making and what you need to be thinking about in terms of your overall corporate strategy. Um, and what we're, what we're trying to figure out from the CX world, from the CX uh, lens is how do we balance, how do we incorporate, how do we blend the two corporate social responsibility? Could you say, could you say more about that and what, what, you, what are your current thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks for asking about that, Mark. Um, and, and this falls into the category of kind of my evolving thought process around this. Not quite ready to climb on a soapbox, but but getting close to it. Um, you know, just a little bit of background on where I got here. The, I thank you for mentioning I teach at Rutgers and at Minnesota, and uh, at Minnesota especially, I teach um, many millennials, Gen Zs, Gen Xs. I'm not sure what generation we're in, but it's definitely on the younger side of the scale in terms of age, and and I'm really energized by their view of supply chain, of service management, of, of um, how we should approach this differently. And so I began this thought process around corporate social responsibility looks at the um, economic, uh, social, and environmental aspects of an organization's vision, mission, and values. And it really starts to say to me, well, if we're doing that, it, what are you doing with your CX strategy and how are you incorporating that? Is sustainability, for example, a part of your CX strategy? Um, is your approach to um, social and economic issues part of your CX strategy? And I think it's a broad and it's very broad uh, because I commend all the efforts around DEI that are happening. But I think this takes it to a next level where we look at it strategically, like we've talked about with CX, um, and, it, and yeah. it starts to, to say, what exactly is our organization committed to? And as CX professionals, CX practitioners, how does that impact what I'm doing? Mm. Say, say more about, like, could you give an illustration? So um, I, I'm teaching a supply chain course right now. I know that's not customer experience, but let's face it, it it's top of mind with customer experience right now. And we recently had a speaker uh, talk to us about um, supplier, supplier diversity. Now that's often confused with having a diverse source for all of your raw materials, for example. And, and what she talks about is, are you selecting suppliers um, based on social, economic, types of reasons. So do you have a diversity within your suppliers? So are they women owned? Are they people of color? Um, are they startups? Are they, whatever that is that falls into that realm. And what that does is it brings uh, a different view to the supply. It brings a different view to the organization. And then uh, my contention is ultimately you're going to get a better experience because you have this diversity of suppliers, not supply. 
And uh, I think I was just really blown away by some of the work that's being done out there uh, in this area. So my contention is, is that, as always, if you can bring that diversity of thought to the table um, as you design your CX strategies and consider all the diversity you have within your customer base, you're going to end up being a better organization delivering better experiences. You know, I, I like the, the word that you use or the expression diversity of thought, because really the, the, the whole DEI uh, concept is we, we need to have diversity of thought. And, and one way we get that is we include people from all different walks of life. Um, it, it's, it's sort of like anything else, like you haven't walked in that person's shoes, you know, you don't know what it is like to be, to be them. And these, these people bring perspectives that, you know, if we're just completely homogeneous, we don't have that perspective. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, fascinating stuff, really cool stuff. Um, you only get it here on the Delighted Customers <laughs> podcast yes. and featuring yes. Bob Osman. You won't get um, it anywhere else. Bob, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it personal for a minute here. If you don't mind, I want to ask about um, you. And I love this, this part uh, of the show where we ask about a turning point, a turning point in your life that affected your career. And if you could think about something that changed the trajectory of your career, that may have been, you know, may have been personal, may have been a whatever, whatever, whatever that stimulus was that caused that change. So um, I'll kind of couple this a little bit together with two two incidences that occur. One is one as I would say is career based, corporate based, where it was the first time I was exposed to customer service at the time. Uh, a boss of mine said, "You know, you're in marketing. You're always criticizing customer service, so we're going to put you in charge of customer service." And by the way, we're putting in a new ordering system that's going to reduce. 16 steps in the system down to one, you have to hire all new people, you have to retrain the people you have, you have to get rid of a whole bunch of people through layoffs, because we don't need all those 16 steps anymore, it just went on and on. And this is all the also the technology pothole. Uh, so I went in this and, and my, you know, I, I went in this with this concept of I got to accomplish this, I've got to get this new technology installed. And um, and didn't really look right or left at people or process like we talked about earlier. And it was a, it was a disaster. Um, the technology failed after the first day. We had terrible abandon rates. Our hold rates were crazy. It was just a complete nightmare for about six months. And, we, and there was something about it. We couldn't, the organization just couldn't move beyond it. The employees were still distrustful of us. We, we just couldn't move on. And yet we had fixed everything that was wrong. We were starting to stabilize. Things were starting to get some positive momentum. But there was just this employee attitude that just we just couldn't get over. So I remember distinctly having this town hall we called everybody together, which at that time, this was a number of years ago, was unheard of. We pulled all the employees together. We shut down our phone lines. And I said, look, the only way we're going to be successful is if we get over this hump. And I said, we're struggling to get over it. And, and I went and, uh, and I apologized for all the things we had done wrong as a leadership team in this, in this transformation process. And it was like, it, it just kind of cleansed the air and employees went, took a deep breath and said, it's about time. 
And it was like this momentous switch that happened that from that day forward, we just had a different employee population. They were much more engaged. They were appreciative. Uh, it, it just it just was a turning point that talk, that said to me, you know, there are times as a leader, you have to say, look, we were wrong. We screwed up. We mm. apologize. We're going to fix this. And, you know, you got to come with me on this. I can't do this alone. And, and that stuck with me for t- till today, because I always think about, first of all, I always think about looking right, looking left, but I also think about, you know, if we've done something wrong, we got to come clean with it. Yeah. And I love the way you describe it. I mean, it's, there's a certain humility that you have to have to go and admit, you know, you made a mistake and I call it servant mm-hmm. leadership. Um, and just saying, Hey, I need, I need your help to, to go fix this. And then there was a second part here that I'll, that I'll share with you. There was another turning point is, um, when I went to work for Thomson Reuters, um, uh, my boss at the time, his name is Rip King, uh, said to me, um, you know, we have a lot of smart people working at Thomson Reuters and I noticed you don't have an MBA. And it just kind of threw me. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And, and I was in my 50s um, when I started to work there. And he said, have you ever thought about getting your advanced degree? And I said, well, I kind of, I've tossed it around, but not really. And about that same time, I was interested in, I was starting to think about retirement. I'm, I'm about 10-year plans at that time. It was a 10-year plan. And I started meeting with people and I met with a professor at University of St. Thomas, my undergraduate alma mater. And I said, you know, I want to teach and consult when I retire. And he said, well, if you're going to teach at the college level, you got to get at least an MBA. And so now I had two key people saying to me, get your MBA. So I went back to school in my mid to late fifties and uh, got my MBA and uh, that led to an ability to teach, and it just opened up a whole another career for me to help me achieve my 10-year plan. And as a side note, my mentor at St. Thomas said to me, took me out to lunch to celebrate my MBA, and he said, now, when are you going to get your PhD? And I nearly threw up my lunch, but anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, Bob, what a great conversation. I so appreciate all the wisdom you shared, and it was great having you, returning the favor, having you on my show. Uh, and uh, just thanks for being a guest. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. You got it. Bob, so if our listeners would like to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, A couple of different ways, Mark. Thanks for asking. One is uh, you can reach me by email, bob at innovativecx.com. Bob at innovativecx.com. My website is innovativecx.com. And... Uh, LinkedIn. You can visit me there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.